how about the fan who sneaked onto the field during stretching at Steelers training camp? Tried to blend in. Except he weighed about 160 pounds if he was wearing number 43. Troy Pulamalo's old number, which nobody currently wears. So they kicked him out. They should have pretended to not notice and let him do drills and get his ass broken in two. He could have got lit up as opposed to just lit. This is the Mark Madden Show. Other shows charge 40%. I only charge 25. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Or you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Mark Madden X. What a rube that guy was. The fan who sneaked onto the field at St. Vincent. Yo, give him credit for, well, guts, I guess, but his jersey was the wrong color. The numbers were the wrong style. He had pads on, and the rest of the Steelers did not because they weren't practicing in pads that day. Uh, Let's look at the subjects at hand for today's program. The Pirates split four games in San Francisco after losing yesterday 4-3. to three. The Pirates are now five games out of the number two wild card and have four teams to jump over. Uh, I give management credit for getting Archer and Kellep. I give the players credit for maximum effort for hanging in there. But it's just not going to happen. Antonio Brown showed up four hours late to visit kids at Children's Hospital. And when he finally got there, he jumped in front of a bunch of TV cameras and plugged the Madden video game like crazy. Antonio Brown really enjoys hanging out with himself. A.B. just loves him some A.B. I'll go into details later, but... There's no good excuse for making sick kids and their families wait four hours. There just isn't anything that can be said besides a personal tragedy, something involving your family. No excuse can be made to justify making sick kids and their families wait four hours. Uh, Brooks Kepka won the PGA, but the big story is that Tiger Woods finished second. That shouldn't be the big story, but it is. Kepka won two majors this year. He's won three majors over the last two years. But Tiger Woods almost winning is a bigger story than the guy who won. Tiger played real good, but Tiger didn't win. And maybe Kepka could be golf's new star if they'd let him. Somebody phrased it very appropriately. I think it was on SportsCenter. Tiger Woods won the PGA with a score of minus 14. Brooks Kepka finished second at minus 16. Uh, Barry Bonds got his number retired in San Francisco on Saturday. Uh, number 24. He wore up uh, 25 in Pittsburgh because that was his childhood idol and friends number. Willie Mays, Bobby Bonds, Barry's dad, was Willie Mays' teammate with the Giants. Um, 
In San Francisco, he had to wear number 24 because, well, Willie Mays' number was already retired by the time Barry got there. It begs the question, should Barry get his number retired in Pittsburgh, number 25? We will discuss that in detail later. It's funny that when Chris Archer came to Pittsburgh, he wouldn't wear his usual number, which was 22, because that used to be Andrew McCutcheon's number here in Pittsburgh. So Archer's wearing number 24, which was Barry Bonds' number. I was on Channel 11 last night, the final word. John Steigerwald says Barry should never get his number retired in Pittsburgh because he's a jerk and wouldn't sign some stuff to sell to raise money to help the families of groundskeepers who died or were in a car wreck or something. What difference does that make? What, you're not going to retire Barry's number because people don't like him? Let me let you all in on a little secret. Willie Starzl got his number retired. A lot of people in Pittsburgh didn't like him either. Uh, Barry's a jerk, okay, but he's not in the Gestapo. You're not asking Barry to the prom. It's not about like. He's the Pirates' only two-time MVP and was the best player on the Pirates during a rare era of winning. The Pirates should definitely retire Barry Bonds' number. And I don't think a statue or a bust, I don't think that should be out of the question either. Uh, most important of all, uh, Liverpool Football Club won its season opener 4-0 over West Ham. We are Liverpool, tra-la-la-la. I want to get back to the Pirates and that stupidity that took place where they brought up Clay Holmes to start Friday at San Francisco. The Pirates' assistant general manager, Kevin Graves, who I never heard of or knew existed until he got on the radio and, and said all this nonsense, he said yesterday that biometric data shows that starting pitchers take longer to recover after pitching at Denver in the high altitude. That's why that bum started Friday at San Francisco Homes, to give all the starters an extra day's rest. And that's okay, except you lost 13-10 on Friday. Holmes got killed, and then Sadler came in to pitch relief, and he got killed too. Another bum. And that's okay, unless you missed the wild card by one game. Now, when does all the biometric data give way to all hands on deck and trusting talent to trump data and taking the occasional risk in pursuit of greater reward? And who's managing the team anyway? Is it Hurdle or is he a puppet for the data? If the Pirates get that wild card or not, it's going to be a very close margin. And starting Clay Holmes doesn't recognize that. It recognizes the data, but doesn't recognize the pirate situation or the standings. And I know a guy like Jamison Tyon is just 13 innings shy of his career high. But if you're going to protect arms and push back starts, if that's still the priority, despite contending for a wild card, then why'd you get Archer and Kella? 
to win with this roster, some risk will have to be taken. Remember that loss on Friday. It it could be big. Uh, the Pirates split the four games in San Francisco. You're not going to catch up doing that. And if extra rest is so important after pitching in Colorado, why doesn't every team do that? Because they don't, just the Pirates do. And how does Colorado cope with playing 81 games there? They use a five-man rotation, same as every other team. And in closing the conversation for now on this particular topic, I got to tell you, and I hope he's listening because I feel somebody has to tell him this. He's not listening. I guarantee that too. What a cowardly chicken scratch move by Neil Huntington to have his assistant GM talk about the Holmes decision on the Neil Huntington radio show over there on the B team. What a cowardly chicken scratch maneuver. That's just amazing to me that he would have that little guts. What what a gutless wonder Neil Huntington is. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, some bad news to pass along today. It seems like I do it all the time regarding old friends of mine, especially in the wrestling profession. Uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart passed away today at the age of uh, 63 years old. Uh, one half of the Hart Foundation with Bret Hart. I worked briefly with Jim in WCW, and he was a, a good man. His daughter Natty is awesome, too, and her husband, TJ Wilson, a.k.a. Uh, Tyson Kidd. So condolences to the friends and family of Jim the Anvil Neidhart. 412-333-9939. In about uh, six or seven minutes, I'm going to address the uh, Antonio Brown controversy at Children's Hospital further. I keep getting tweets saying, you're beating a dead horse. Leave Antonio alone. I'm going to continue to beat the dead horse. And I'm sorry, I think Antonio Brown is a dink. And I don't think he can be held accountable enough for making sick kids and their families wait for hours. I mean, normally in this town, we melt for every story that involves a sick kid. Now sick kids were done wrong, but we can never be mad at a stealer, kind of like when Harrison beat his wife. We can never be mad at a stealer. Decency gets shoved right to the side because we can never be mad at a stealer. We can never ruin a stealer Sunday. Honestly, as I get older, I've lived here my whole life. In many ways, I'm sorry I have. Not because of me, it's because of all of you. 412-333-WXDX. Also, wow, at 3.30, we'll talk with uh, football guru Matt Williamson. We're going to talk a lot about the Steelers' dollar defense, which would put seven DBs on the field at once. That's a lot of DBs, too. And then later in the show, we're still waiting to get the time narrowed down. It is America's best football writer. Now with NBCSports.com, it's the great Peter King. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 x 
And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Go ahead, you can say it because it's true. It's damn true. Hey, Mark, love the show. Thank you for making my day. Yeah. The X at 105.9. I've been getting a lot of grief on uh, social media for holding Antonio Brown accountable because he showed up uh, four hours late to see sick kids at Children's Hospital. Josh Harris, the former Steeler running back, for, for about 90 seconds, he said, you've never walked a mile in Antonio Brown's shoes. Well, neither of you. You got cut by the CFL. Know what I mean? Josh Harris, he'd been cut so many times, it's a wonder he ain't bled to death. I, I don't need advice on how to comport myself from the dribs and drabs the fringe element of sports, and for that matter, humanity. Uh, But let me just address this Antonio Brown thing. And this isn't rumor. This was reported by local TV news. Antonio Brown was supposed to appear at Children's Hospital to meet with sick kids at 1 p.m. He didn't show up until after 5 p.m. Parents and kids who weren't staying at the hospital, who would just come in for the appearance, they left. Some kids were wheeled back and forth to and from their rooms several times because they had to rest or get treatment. But they kept coming back to the common area because they wanted to meet Antonio Brown. Eventually, Antonio Brown did show up and then got in front of the TV cameras and plugged the Madden video game. Yeah, it's so great to be here with these kids playing the Madden video game because, of course, he's on the cover of that game. Now, I know Antonio Brown at one point gave 100 k to Children's Hospital. But you still can't show up four hours late to see sick kids. There's no defending that act. You can deflect blame with the 100 k stuff, but it does not absolve. These kids and their families live minute to minute. You can't waste four hours of their time. It's just not right. Now, Antonio Brown is an all-time great wide receiver. As a human being, he is an absolute horse's ass. He thinks about nobody but himself. Even the nice stuff he does is always done in front of a camera. Antonio Brown is a horse's ass and a phony. There's just no defending him being four hours late. There's no way to do it. And how much charity work I do or don't do or how much charity work anybody else does or doesn't do, that is so irrelevant and a perfect example of the whataboutism that seemingly pervades any argument we have today. When A.B. did his radio show for DVE, he always showed up late when he showed up at all. Jerry Dulac was talking about that this morning on the DVE morning show because he was the co-host. He said in, in, I think it was two years, A.B. did the show on DVE, he showed up on time once. And the earliest he was for a show after that was 20 minutes late. Uh, Antonio Brown was named Dapper Dan Man of the Year, and then he no-showed the banquet. Uh, A.B. has showed up late or no-showed various paid commitments and appearances, and there's no accountability whatsoever. He's Antonio Brown, he's a big star, that's what he does, and that's okay when it's not sick kids. 
If you want this put more tangibly in terms you can relate to, well, as I've often said, you don't win with guys like that. And I know that's true because the Steelers haven't. I'm curious as to why did he show up four hours late? Why did he bother to show up at all if he was going to be four hours late? Here's what I think happened. I think whoever was in charge of the event said to him, look, you got to get here at some point because this is Children's Hospital and there's cameras here and yada yada. And I think he probably showed up grudgingly after getting that advice. And by the way, him giving 100K to Children's Hospital, that is about one half of 1% of Antonio Brown's salary. People said, well, what charity work do you do? Well, since you asked, uh, Lemieux Foundation, Penguins Foundation, I give time as well as raise money. Uh, remember the flyer shirts I've sold over the past several years? That money goes to the Lemieux Foundation, and that's extra work for me. Uh, I, I sponsored kids to go to the World Street Hockey Championships uh, this year. Three uh, female players, as a matter of fact, to go to the Girls World Championships, but I didn't call in a camera crew or send out a press release. And I can guarantee that I give a much higher percentage of the money I make in a year to charity on a yearly basis. Now, Colin Dunlap from the uh, B-Team Morning Show, and I think Colin's a great talent and a great guy. He is defending Antonio Brown to an unreasonable level, both on his show and on Twitter, but that's because Colin has a sick daughter. God bless her, Darren. She's battled cancer for a number of years now. And Antonio Brown was very nice to her when she went to Steelers camp. I know because as... Every time Antonio's nice, there was photographic proof of it. So I understand why Colin defends Antonio because it's the same reason I've always defended Ben Roethlisberger. Ben was very nice to my mother when Ben lived next door to me. When my mother lived with me and she was dying and Ben was great to her. So I will defend Ben to the death. It's the same with Colin and Antonio, but but I, I think it's fair to understand where that's coming from. Because really, there's no excuse for making sick kids wait four hours. Just no excuse. And I wonder what Colin would have said if his daughter hadn't met with Antonio before, if he weren't so nice to her, and if she was one of those waiting for four hours for AB at Children's Hospital. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. By the way, Colin is welcome to call the show. I would call his show if... if if I could, I don't think that would be looked upon real kindly here. Again, that number, 412-333-9939. we got a bunch of people on hold. They're going to have to stay on hold because we got Matt Williamson up next. Just, just a quick note. Check out my blog today on the Mark Madden page at, at uh, WXDX.com. I was at my late mother's house yesterday uh, getting some stuff, and I found... A letter I got when I was 14 years old from Maurice Rocket Richard. I'd written a fan letter to Rocket Richard, and he sent me back a couple autographed pictures and an autographed index card. And I took pictures of those, and they're posted on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. 
I, I know you laugh at snail mail. I think even that that term is is seen as trite these days. But uh, when you're a kid and you go to the mailbox, and that happened to me a bunch of times. Letter from Re- Maurice Richard. Letter from Gordy Howe. Letter from Roberto Clemente. Letter from Bill Mazeroski. Those are indeed some very special memories. We're going to talk about the Steelers' dollar defense, which I bet winds up not being worth a plug nickel. Talk about that next with Matt Williamson here on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Are you saying that because you know it'll make me make fun of you? Yes, I love you, Mark. But I'll be quite blunt, slap nuts. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. Joining me now live from Latrobe, where Steelers practice today is delayed by inclement weather. He is our football guru, Matt Williamson. Uh, Matt, let's talk about this dollar package with seven DBs. It, it seems a slippery slope. What are the pros and cons, and can the Steelers execute it? I love it, to be honest with you. I'm very intrigued with it. Seven defensive backs on the field was seldomly used across the league last year. We saw the Patriots flirt with it, but I do think it's a thing of the future. And first off, people need to know more than anything, stopping the run, I don't want to say it's not important, but it's really down the level of importance than it ever was in our our football lives. And to back that up, here's a little stat for you. Yards per carry allowed last year. The bottom nine teams in the league in that stat, seven of them went to the playoffs. And the ninth team, the worst team in the league, was the Chargers, who should have went to the playoffs. So it's all about stopping the past for creating victories in this league. And if you have, frankly, the Matikaviches of the world, or even Vince Williams, or probably even Bostick, on the field too often, Brady and any quarterback that can hold their salt is going to target that player over and over and over because tight ends are receivers now they're not blockers running backs are receivers as well as ball carriers and therefore you have to get the most versatile package you can out there and i know the defensive backfield is somewhat unproven here but boy there's a lot of talent there's a lot of depth And when you're talking about the seven guys who would be on the field, I think you're talking about Burnett and Edmonds as basically being linebackers. Davis as a deep free safety. Sutton and Hilton as basically slot corners. And then that leaves Burns and Hayden on the outside. And I'm pretty much a believer that all seven of those guys are better football players for today's NFL than anyone that we call an inside linebacker on this team right now. Uh, That's a compelling case, and I I don't disagree, especially when you compare the talent of the DBs to the talent of the Steelers' inside backers. But if the other team sees seven DBs on the field, won't they just run the ball to distraction? Uh, How do you stop Leonard Fournette with seven DBs on the field? Yeah, and... Jacksonville's the obvious example where it's a bad idea because they're probably the only team in the league where you want to beg them to throw (laughs) because their quarterback's bad, their running game's good. We've seen that. That's been a bad matchup, clearly, for the Steelers. So against the Jags, no. And frankly, you're only doing this with at least three wide receivers on the field. You're not going to do it with a fullback in the game or double tights. So it's only on clear passing situations. 
not even a third and two situation. So, you know, but therefore, I, I think you'll see more dime than you've seen. I think you'll see more nickel than you've seen as the offensive packages get heavier, if you go down the list. Now, I agree that the Steelers' seven DBs, the guy you mentioned, they're all pretty talented and at least have great potential. Yes. But if even one guy gets hurt, then don't dominoes start to fall in a very negative fashion? Probably. And, again, I mean, if you're talking about a seven-defensive back package, maybe it's five to ten snaps a game if you can keep them in third and long. But that that pretty much makes you really safe that your dime package is good, your nickel package is really good. And the two guys I didn't mention in that equation, well, three of them really, are Cody Sensabaugh, who's not great, but he's serviceable. Marcus Allen, who's probably a year away, but would be that pseudo linebacker type. And the other Allen, you know, Brian Allen, who I think has loads of potential, and they might look at him as Hayden's replacement. Like, I don't think those three are ideal for it, and the two Allens aren't ready. But I mentioned 10 defensive backs that have ability. Now, you mentioned that the Steelers might play this this uh, dollar package five or ten times a game. The only reason I kind of doubt that they'll play it even that much, Matt, is because I think the Steelers might see it as too radical to use very often. I mean, when was the last time the Steelers set a trend defensively? No, I just, well, probably the zone blitz. <laughs> and that was a while ago. It really was. Um, yeah, it really was, and it's outdated now. Um, yeah, and to be honest, 10 snaps a game is probably too many. I mean, uh, that's probably a, a misstatement by me. If you only play 50 defensive snaps, you know, one, t- one t- you know, 20% of them. Although i got to tell you, Matt, for, forgive the interruption, but if yeah. you played a true, pure passing team, you didn't have to worry much about the run, mm-hmm. I could see the wisdom in using that dollar package 20 or 25 snaps a game just to make them do something else to beat you, to play away from their strength. Absolutely. And passing the ball is a much more efficient manner of moving the football, especially on early downs, than running the ball anymore. It just flat out is. And everyone knows it. Everyone's doing that. You know, if your running backs can't catch, we don't need you. If your tight ends are just blockers, we don't need you. If your linebackers can't cover, we don't need you. So, yes, I agree with you. And, again, if you do see base personnel – well, I think you play nickel against that now, where before you used to see a base 3-4. If your guy, if it's third and three and they bring a third receiver on the field, well, you go to dime, where a lot of time we used to see nickel. I mean, no matter what situation it is, just add one more defensive back than you're used to seeing. We're talking to our football guru, Matt Williamson, here on the Mark Madden Show. You mentioned Sean Davis is the deep safety. Is he a starter, Matt? There was some... Uh, concerned that the Steelers had lost some faith on him. Uh, what do they think of Sean Davis right now? Yeah, and to me, of all those positions I sort of laid out, that deep middle safety is the one I'm most worried about. And this is a pretty predominant single high team. Of course, they play cover two and things too, but more often than not, they have a safety in the middle of the field. Um, to me, Davis is very unproven there. I think they're encouraged. But some of these guys have missed a lot of time. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know. I'm not sure if that's his best role or not. To me, that's one of the biggest questions of camp. What were your biggest takeaways from the first exhibition game? And let me duly note, Matt, we could do with fewer exhibition games, maybe even as few as one. I agree. I mean, the way I would lay it out is I would add a 17th game and I'd have two, but that's a much longer conversation. Um, 
I was really worried about the offensive tackle depth, but I thought Chooks showed us a little bit to get encouraged, and I think if Munchak has another month to mold him, they might be better off there than we thought. I thought the quarterbacks played efficiently, the collective B grade for those guys. I'm much more encouraged with the running back situation behind Bell than I was before camp opened. Connor in particular, he's shining, and he looks much more advanced in the passing game. But I think Ridley's a true NFL number two. And so if Bell were to miss time, I think he'd get by with that group. Um, on defense, I like those outside linebackers outside of Watt and Dupree, you know, a bunch of young guys vying for time. Uh, not a lot else to really jump out of me. I'm probably missing two or three things. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But the thing I keep harping on up here, and I feel like I'm piling on the guy, but going back to our conversation to start the segment, I don't know how you can ever put Tyler Matikiewicz on the field. You know, like, to me, he's not an NFL player. He shouldn't make this roster. Because if he's out there on defense, everyone in the world is going to target him. If he's the best special teamer on the team, fine. Keep him just for that. But if he walks out there on defense, he's going to get abused every play. Now, you mentioned the O-line. Uh, are the Steelers still kind of grasping for depth on the O-line, Matt? I agree that Chooks looked pretty good, at least as much as I can tell watching broadcast TV. He looked okay in that first exhibition. But they just signed this Zach Banner, a fourth-round pick at Indy last year. He's a big guy, 6'8", 360, so obviously they're still looking. Yeah, and I think that tackles a position more than most that you always have your ears open to see who's out there because there's so few that are. And this is a long shot. I mean, Banner was a fourth-round pick. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy's son, he's unbelievably huge. And I think if you give him the Munchak for a couple weeks, maybe he t- you know shows a little promise. We'll see. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think the depth is where it was. I mean, it would be nice to have a Hubbard. But I also think Filer's a pretty good player. Like, they could win games with Filer. And as much as I like Finney as a fill-in for Foster, I I thought Filer would be just as good. Like, when Finney went down, I'm like, well, Filer will play a game or two while Foster's out, and they'll be okay. Uh, you talked about Chooks. Uh, what did he do well in that first exhibition? What about him was encouraging? I think he's a pretty natural athlete, has a strong base, a natural base has a lot of work to do with his hands and angles, but looks better than he did at the start of camp. I mean, like when I started watching him, I was like, boy, he's not going to help us this year. You know I mean? He's a, a project. And watching him play both left and right, which is a lot harder than people think, um, he was serviceable. So I guess, I guess what I like about him is he's moldable clay with a great coach molding him, and he's taken step forward in two or three weeks we've been here. What about this Patterson guy at wide receiver? Had a big first exhibition. Is he any good? Does he have a chance? Or is he just a camp phenom who might make the practice squad at best? Um, I think he's to be determined, but somewhere in that mix. Because I mentioned how I think Matikiewicz is turning into a, a roster clogger. I'm starting to kind of feel the same way about Hunter and Hayward Bay, that we know who they are now. And in the end, they're not really good enough, and they don't help the team. So maybe a Well, yeah, but, but Hayward Bay with the special teams. You talked about Matikavich. Hayward might be one of their very best guys on special teams. Yes, and I also think he has value in the wide receiver room to kind of keep A.B. and Juju under wraps a little bit and be the elder statesman in there. But as an offensive player, he's 
kind of useless. Um, but Tucker's a good special teamer. This Patterson dude played special teams at Youngstown State voluntarily. I don't know how good he is at it, but he's not totally inexperienced. So I think those guys are highly intriguing. And, you know, the way I might handle it is put Eli Rogers on the pup list for the first six weeks, give Tucker or Patterson or possibly both a roster spot, give them a six-week audition during the season. If they look like they belong, send Eli on his way. If they look like they don't, add Eli and dump them. And finally, Matt, is there any way the depth chart changes at quarterback barring injury? Because I think it's Ben 1, Jones 2, Rudolph 3, and Dobbs cut, and that's no matter how any of them perform. Yes, agreed. Absolutely. Um, Jones has a lot of value to Ben as a sounding board and as an experienced guy, and I absolutely think that he would give the Steelers the best chance to win any given day if Ben is not in the lineup. That's not a knock at all on Rudolph. He's just not ready. Um, the only way I could see Rudolph playing is if the season was a disaster, you know, if they were one and eight and out of it, which a lot of bad things would have to happen, and you just want to see the kid. But he's next year's project. I mean, no, no, right. If, if Ben got hurt and the season was already shot, they might go with Rudolph for the sake of experience. Mm-hmm. Right. But they value knowledge of the system so much. And, and Landry Jones, no matter what you think of his skill set, he's played in 18 games and started five. Yeah, he has a lot more value to this organization than probably everyone listening realizes. And you look at the backups around the league, many teams are much worse off, and he can come in for a month and win you two or three games. Matt, as always, great stuff. We appreciate the analysis. All right, man. Thanks. That's Matt Williamson. You can hear him on Steelers Nation Radio. And check out his football website, which is tremendous, mattwilliamsonfootball.com. Peter King later on in the show, we're still talking about A.B. showing up four hours late to see sick kids at Children's Hospital. We're talking about Brooks Kepka winning the PGA, but Tiger getting all the coverage, getting all the headlines, getting all the adulation. Is that fair? I don't think so. Then again, life mostly isn't fair. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, love the show. Double M, big fan, big fan. He's a game changer. He's a guy that makes a big difference. Ooh, that's a good one. The X at 105.9. This is my first day with aromatherapy in the studio. I'm breathing a big old dose of serenity. No quarter playing in the background. I feel like I should be high as a kite. And who knows, perhaps I am. No quarter brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Great talking with Matt Williamson about the Steelers dollar package. That's seven defensive backs. Terrell Edmonds is the key. The first round pick. Like Williamson said, he's going to play like a linebacker. He's got the size to do it, 6'1", 217. He can make tackles like a linebacker. They're asking him to play like Shazier. Marcus Allen also has that kind of size, 6'2", 215. The rookie from Penn State. I think there's opportunity there for a kid like that to earn. Uh, But I bet the Steelers... 
when the rubber meets the road, I bet the Steelers rarely use the dollar package. It's a extreme package, and the Steelers aren't extreme. They'll think about it, they'll practice it, but they'll hesitate and won't use it. In other Steeler camp news, uh, James Conner is out with a groin injury. But you people wouldn't understand that because you don't have groins. We're going to talk at length about uh, Tiger Woods winning the PGA. Even though he didn't, most people are acting like he did. I don't think Tiger's going to win a major. I think coming close is the best he's ever going to do again. But if he would win another major, that would be a great comeback story among the best in sports history. After the back problems and the surgeries, the whoremongering, the kinky sex, including, I mean, he loved that back door, love. We know that. He ripped his family asunder. All the greed, all the guilt. To win again after all that, what a story it would be. But I just don't think it's going to happen. I had some calls on hold about the Antonio Brown situation, him making sick kids wait four hours to see him at Children's Hospital. If you have any thoughts on that, please do call back 412-333-WXDX. To recap, I think it's inexcusable. I don't care how much he's done for kids in the past. I don't care about his 100K contribution. I just don't care. You can't make sick kids wait four hours, period. There is no way to turn him into anything but the villain in this case. We're also talking about Barry Bonds. We'll get into that at length at the top of the hour. Should the Pirates retire his number 25? Kevin Gorman wrote a column about that in the Trib today, which is unfortunate because I was going to write a column about that in the Trib on Wednesday. So if you have any column ideas, get them out there now on Twitter at MarkMaddenX. Uh, couple bucko notes. We talked about the absurdity of pushing the rotation back a day because they uh, pitched in Denver. And they called that Holmes guy up and he got killed. And if they miss the wild card by one game, people will point at that decision. I think it's chicken scratch that the GM made the assistant GM explain it on the radio show yesterday. Just indescribably chicken scratch. I just can't believe Neil Huntington just out not displayed, almost with a source of perverted pride, his absolute gutlessness by not addressing the situation himself. Uh, but lucky for him and for Clint Hurdle, Clint Hurdle's a joke now. Clint Hurdle's not the manager of the team anymore. He is a puppet for the data. But uh, lucky for all those guys, Huntington Hurdle, the whole group, the Hillbilly Prince too, the owner, the Pirates are going to miss the wild card by much more than one game. I give him credit for hanging in there. I give him credit for getting Archer and Kella, but it's just not going to happen. Quick update, by the way. Tyler Glasnow, since getting to Tampa, has pitched 12 innings, allowed only six hits, allowed three runs, three walks, 20 strikeouts. I guess that's what happens when you take a strikeout pitcher and don't make him pitch to contact. Now, that's very good. Uh, that doesn't mean the Pirates made a bad trade. 
It just means that Glasnow is pitching very well, as he always had the potential to do. Up next, we got Andy and Hebrew Hammer on hold. But first, we're going to talk about Barry Bonds and should his number be retired by the Pittsburgh Pirates. 105.9 The X. 